Like I said, if you've got your Bibles, Mark chapter 2. We've been journeying through the Gospel of Mark, journeying through and looking at Jesus' life here. You know, uh, Jesus told his disciples, he said, um, that I'm going to be lifted up. He was, he was referring to the cross, but even just in general, he said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. And that's the goal and that's the heart of what we're doing here as we, as a church, have been journeying through the Gospel of Mark is we literally just want to see Jesus lifted up. We want to see Jesus, how he lived his life, what he did, who he interacted with, the things that he said, the authority that he walked with, the miracles that he worked, who Jesus is to have him lifted up in our hearts. As we read this story, even this morning, it's my prayer that Jesus will be lifted up, that Jesus would be exalted as we see this. And as he does that, he's going to draw you and I closer to where he is. Who here wants to be closer to where Jesus is? I mean, come on, that's the best place we can be. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to get into this here, but I'm going to pray first. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into this, this word together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your presence here with us. Thank you for being willing, ready, and able to speak. Holy Spirit, we, we yield to your voice this morning. We open up our hearts to hear, uh, open up our spiritual eyes to see, to see you lifted up, to see you glorified. Father, we desire more and more of you in your presence. And and so I thank you for making that happen as we read your word, God, that it wouldn't just be words on a page for us, but it would be your life-giving, spirit-breathed words in our hearts this morning. Bring us to life. Call us to, to greater faith, deeper trust in you as we need you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, we're going to be starting here in verse 1. We're going to be reading a story this morning of what I'm going to call roof-wrecking faith. We, I believe that God this morning is calling us to lives of roof-wrecking faith. Roof-wrecking faith. Uh, we're going to see that here in this story. And what, But before we get into it, I want to say what I mean by roof-wrecking faith, because as far as I know, that's not a term that's really thrown out there very much, okay? A little bit of a new concept. Old story, new concept, roof-wrecking faith. What I mean by that and what I'm trying to say, what I'm wanting to get across is that God is calling you and he's calling me, he's calling us as a church to live lives of faith that are so so tenacious about being where God is, about being in God's presence, about accessing what he has for us that absolutely nothing and no one is going to get in our way of it. Something that pushes through obstacles. Something that digs holes through roofs or roofs or roofs, whatever you want to call it. Something that can dig holes through layers. Something that pushes past crowds. Something that just absolutely is tenacious about being in the presence of God. About nothing else but being close to where God is. Not knowing exactly what's going to happen with it. Not having to have all the answers figured out. But knowing wherever Jesus is, that's where I need to be. That's where I want to be. So that's what I'm calling a roof-wrecking faith this morning. You and I, God's calling us to a roof-wrecking faith. To be tenacious about getting, pushing through, breaking through, pushing past any single obstacle that would keep us from where Jesus is. 
that would keep us from what He has for us, what He wants from us. I believe that that's what God's calling us to. And I also think, I, I look even at my life and areas, I believe, you know, I, I would call myself a man of faith, a person of faith. But at the same time, sometimes there are obstacles that would get in my way of seeking to be close to God, seeking where He is. I was too, a little too tired in the morning to wake up and, you know, have quiet time alone with the Lord to get in the Scripture. Oh, I'm a, this Netflix binge is a little too enticing right now that, you know, where I could just spend some time in the presence of God seeking Jesus. So this distraction has become a little too much. This thing looks a little bit too crazy to the people around me. There's a lot of little, tiny, itsy, bitsy, teeny, weeny obstacles that can get in the way of our faith sometimes. And I hope that we're all at least a little bit convicted by that. Because we're about to get into a story of someone who had some pretty significant obstacles, pretty big obstacles, but had a roof-wrecking kind of faith that had to get where Jesus was, had to be just where he was, not knowing exactly what he was going to do for him, not knowing what the end result was going to be, but if nothing else, I know I've got to be in the presence of that man. I've got to be in the presence of that man. Man, if we have that kind of faith, what little obstacles could get in the way of us? What little tiny obstacles could stand in the way of just simply that presence of being where Jesus is? We live in a day and age, we live in a time because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and him sending his spirit, unleashing his spirit into humanity. We live in a day and age where we don't have to push through crowds necessarily. We don't have to break holes in a roof to be where Jesus is. You and I, we walk with the presence of God right on the inside of us that we can access communion and union with him Anytime we want to. What obstacle could stand in our way of being in the presence of this great, great God? Being in the presence of this man, Jesus. So, that's what God's calling us to. A, a roof-wrecking faith. I believe that God can do something powerful with a group of people with a church that have roof-wrecking faith. And so let's have our faith built up here as we get into this story. I'm going to read I'm going to read just a few verses here. We're going to start things off and then I'm going to share with you from what I've seen in this story what I would consider some ingredients to roof wrecking faith. Okay? We're going to look into some of those ingredients here. Mark chapter 2 starting in verse 1. And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. People were talking about him. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. I'll pause here for a second. So when I say roof-wrecking faith, this is the guy, these are the people that I'm talking about. So Jesus is back in town. If, if you were here for the past few Sundays, you saw he started his ministry journey here in Capernaum. He went to the synagogue. He was preaching. He cast out a demon out of a guy. He healed people. His name was really starting to spread. He went from there, healed a leper, told them, don't tell anybody. Lo and behold, he told people. And now everybody knows 
who Jesus is. Everybody's hearing about this man and the authority that he speaks with and the authority that he walks with. And so he comes back after preaching in all these surrounding cities, comes back to Capernaum. Some believe that he might be in his own house at this point. This might be Jesus's house. So when we see here in a second that he forgives this man of his sins, he could have also been talking about ripping a hole in his house, forgiving him of that. But before we get to that part, I want to look again at some ingredients already that we see of roof-wrecking faith. What would cause, what would drive these people to go around the crowd, up the stairs, onto the roof, digging a hole, not just any hole, but one big enough to lower a mat down that a person's lying on. I'm thinking if someone were trying to do that in this building right now, how big of a hole that would leave how exposed that would be, how distracting that would be for us. So this is a pretty intense moment that we're, we're looking at here from Jesus. But what kind of faith, what would lead up to such a dramatic and drastic event? Even in the Gospel of Luke, tells the same story. And he, that one even talks about uh, going through tile, even a tile, tile roof, a hard hard roof that they dug through to lower this man down to Jesus just to see what he could do with it. So the first ingredient, honestly, that I want to to look at here, the first ingredient of roof-wrecking faith that I want to point out is an imagination. Imagination, first and foremost, before we even get to the story of what Jesus does, what, I think, what on earth would cause these four people, these people to come bring their friend who's a paralytic on his mat and to see this crowd and want to go all the way around, lower him down in the roof of this man, Jesus. They just want him to be close to Jesus. I believe that first and foremost, their imagination had to have been sparked. Again, Jesus is just recently starting his ministry. But here in Capernaum, he's done some miracles. He's done some healings. He's taught with authority. And then he's gone to these surrounding areas. There's just recently this story of a leper being healed. These people had to have heard what Jesus did for other people first. Had to have. That's why there's this big crowd around the house. That's why there's all this commotion, all this noise going on about this man, Jesus, who's here. There's no way that they're dropping a paralytic guy through a roof if they haven't heard something about Jesus and what he can do. Imagination, first and foremost. And I know that sounds so basic and so simple, but I'm telling you, God wants to work and can work powerfully even just with our imagination, first and foremost. They had to have heard these stories. Oh, this leper got healed. Oh, this... This evil spirit got cast out of this guy. Even the spirits listened to this man. Maybe he could do it for us. Just maybe. Have you ever had a moment of faith that was maybe even just a seed of faith? Maybe it wasn't even this big thing like, oh man, I, I can do it. God's in me. God's with me. I can go do this. Maybe it just started out as a, hmm, I wonder if God could do that for me. Maybe sometimes that's all you can muster. Sometimes for me, that's about the the amount of faith that I can work with. Sometimes I don't find myself in this big place of like power and yes, God's ready to use me today. I know exactly what he wants me to do. It's going to be this big, powerful thing. Sometimes it's just a seed of an imagination of, hmm, I wonder if God could do that in my life. I wonder if 
if God could provide for me the way that I've seen him do that for somebody else. Man, I, I heard this thing about God miraculously touching someone and healing them. I wonder if God could heal me and the disease that I'm suffering with. I've seen God break the power of sin in that person's life. Hmm, I wonder, could that happen to me as well? So first and foremost, I believe that these people, to have this roof-wrecking faith, their imagination was captured by what Jesus had done, by who he was, by the stories that they heard from other people. Maybe it hasn't happened in your life yet. Emphasis on the word yet. Maybe it hasn't happened in your life yet, but you've got people around you who can share with you a testimony that can stoke your faith, that can stoke your imagination of what God could do in your life. In Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul, he's talking about preaching the gospel and people hearing and believing. And he says in that, uh, in that chapter, he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Our faith is built up even just in our hearing. Listen, if you feel like you don't have roof-wrecking faith right now, pay attention to what you're hearing. Hear what you're hearing. Who are you listening to? Are you listening to people who are telling stories of, yes, God can do it? Or are you listening to people who are taking that seed of imagination and saying, yeah, but not now. Yeah, but that was way back then. That was when Jesus was walking the earth. Yeah, but that person prays a lot more than you do. It's probably not going to happen for you. Yeah, but. Are you listening to the yeah, buts? Are you listening to people who are actually going to sow seeds of God, the word of Christ, the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ for you? Is that what you're hearing? What are you paying attention to? What are you, what are you hearing? What are you listening for? Listen for those things that are going to spark your imagination of who God is, how great he is, and of what he can do. God wants to get a hold of our imagination. And listen, I believe that this is very important for us. Jesus, he said that people need to approach him with a childlike faith. To come to the kingdom like a child. You know why? Because kids have imaginations. Kids live in the dreams of what can be. Kids are not limited by what's in their bank account. And kids are not limited by how many times they've seen it go wrong. Kids think, they dream, they imagine. And we adults try to just squelch it out of them as fast as we can. Stop that. Don't think that way. Grow up. But honestly, we, let's keep our imagination. Jesus said that we need to have a childlike faith, this imaginative faith of what can be, what is possible. That's how God wants it to be because his, his vision of the kingdom is bringing God's impossible right here into earth, into what we would think is impossible, but making it possible here and now. That's whenever Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what he was talking about. These impossible things coming to right here, right now. And we need to let our imaginations run wild with us a little bit. Honestly, if that's even your only takeaway this morning, maybe, maybe you don't have to go do some big thing, but let your imagination run away with you a little bit. Let your imagination run wild of what God could do. Think about it. And don't squash it. Don't kill it in the infant phase. Don't kill it as a seed. Let it, let it be an imagination. Dream a little bit. 
man, God, what cool big thing can you do? And don't think, oh, well, that's going to cost this much money. And, oh, well, that would take this many friends. And I don't have any of those or whatever. Stop squashing it right now. But imagine with God. Imagine with God a little bit what he could do. I'm telling you, this runs against maybe things that we heard from our parents growing up. Maybe things that, not my parents, of course. My parents are the best. They only do the best things. I'm talking about everybody else's parents. But maybe what you learned from your parents or your loved ones, people who are influential in your life growing up, maybe your friends growing up, we learn to not have an imagination. We learn to not have faith. We learn not to trust God because we're born with this innate desire and this innate knowing that God is big and he is great and he can do it and trusting him. But how many people grow up hearing about all the things that they can't do? That's hard to unlearn, especially if it's someone who you really trusted growing up, who as you, as you were growing up, oh, well, you look ugly today. Hey, so we chuckle a little bit, but some people grow up hearing that every day. Some people grow up hearing that all the time. Those are things that have to be unlearned in Christ. And you know what? The beautiful thing is we can't unlearn it in Christ. God is a good father. He's a, a, a good God who speaks truth over us. Even if you did grow up every day hearing from the people that you loved and trusted saying, oh, well, you're not good enough to be able to do that. Well, you're never going to amount to anything. Well, you're from Boswell, so, you know. Hey, I'm, I'm saying people talk like that. And I'm from Durant, not a big city necessarily. Tishomingo, if you want to get really specific. But... We, we grow up limiting ourselves by what our name is, where we're from, what we can do, what we can't do. We hear those things all the time, but God wants us to have an imagination, not just of who we can be, but who God is, who he can be in us. So let your imagination run wild a little bit. These people, again, as they're bringing Joe, paralytic Joe, over to the house, they're sitting there with an imagination in their mind. This is what, this is what we heard that Jesus did. This is what we heard that he can do. So maybe he'll do it for Joe. Maybe he'll do it for this guy. Okay, well, let's go. Whatever gets in our way, we're just going to have to mess it up. We're going to have to push through the crowd. We're going to have to break through the roof. We're going to have to get him to Jesus because we know that where Jesus is, something big is going to happen. Something big and powerful. I don't know if Joe's going to get up off of his mat and walk or not, but this is our best chance of it happening is being where Jesus is. They had this imagination. What could God do? What could God do in your life? What could God do in your life? So roof-wrecking faith ingredient number one, imagination. The next one that I want to talk about from this same thing is desperation. Anybody ever been in a desperate place, desperate time in your life? Desperate is not fun. Desperate is not cool. Desperate does not make a good thing on Instagram or Facebook that people want to like and share. Desperation isn't a very flashy, awesome thing, but desperation is ripe soil for the kind of faith that God can move powerfully with. If you see yourself, if you are in a desperate situation right now, you know your lives, you, you know your heart, you can do inventory for yourself. Do I feel desperate right now? Do I feel like I am in need? I, I can't make ends meet on my own. I can't figure this out by myself. I've reached the end of myself. If you have reached a point of desperation, blessed are you. And I don't mean that in a silly kind of way. Truly, blessed are you because in that desperation, you'll find yourself 
turning to the one person who actually can solve your problem. Because before we get desperate, we fool ourselves very easily into thinking that we can handle it ourselves. When I'm not desperate, I think that I've got the strength to make it work. And if it's not me, I can at least trust Callie. She can, if I can't solve my own problems, my wife can solve my problems at least. Or my friends or the people around me, whatever. But ultimately, every single one of us, we are in desperate need of Jesus. We're in desperate need of Jesus, who he is, what he has to offer. Whether we're seeing it or not, we are in desperate need of even just his word that sustains all of life. His word that spoke and the, the world existed and still exists and is living off of his word. We are, des- we are desperately in need of that. Jesus tells a story. I believe I wrote this down somewhere. In Matthew, Ch- no, I, that's the wrong reference. I think this is in the Gospel of Luke. Sorry, you can Google it. Uh, Jesus tells a story. He's in this uh, Pharisee's house and this woman comes and she's just weeping over his feet and she's anointing him with oil and but she was a sinner and before they even said anything the pharisees were sitting there thinking if jesus knew what kind of woman this was he would not stand for this he wouldn't allow this to happen and he told he knew of course what they were thinking and so he he told them he was like okay so one person two two people who are in debt are forgiven one's forgiven of a hundred One's forgiven of a hundred thousand. Okay, this is my paraphrase. One's forgiven of a hundred, one's forgiven of a hundred thousand. Who's going to love that person more? And they're like, well, I suppose the one who is forgiven of a hundred thousand. He's like, yeah, you're right. And he said, as, as long as I've been in your house, you didn't wash my feet. This woman has washed my feet with her tears. You haven't anointed me with any. She's been anointing me with oil all she has. You haven't done anything. She's been kissing my feet this whole time. This woman whose sins are many, he's like, you're right, I'll grant you. Yeah, she's got a lot of sin in her life, but they are forgiven. And because of that, she loves so much. She cares so deeply about me. She's pouring out all of her heart to me. Listen, the moral of that story as I see it is, so the Pharisee, you know, of course, probably convicted, I would assume. But what he doesn't realize is that he is just as much in desperate need of Jesus as that woman was. And so he should have been the one, I'm pouring, you know, crying over Jesus' feet. And, but we can fool ourselves into thinking that we've got it figured out. We can fool ourselves into thinking that our own righteousness is good enough and big enough. We can fool ourselves into thinking that we've created enough economic stability for ourselves and we've made enough of a way for ourselves in life that God can be along for the ride, but ultimately, I got this. And blessed are the people who realize quickly and often and viscerally, I don't have it figured out. Blessed are those people who realize I've been forgiven of a hundred thousand whatever and I need to come to Jesus and pour out my love to him. These people were in a place of desperation. To have roof-wrecking faith, you got to be desperate and these people were desperate. And you know, want to know how I know? Because they cut a hole in someone's roof. You do not find yourself elbowing your way around a crowd, climbing up the side of a house, up up the stairs, going and digging a body, like person-sized hole in a roof to lower them down. You don't do that unless you're desperate. And so I know that these people were desperate. 
There's desperation in this faith, and God, you're, we're about to see, does something powerful with it. Truly, truly powerful. If you find yourself in a desperate situation, I know that that's hard. I know that's difficult. God wants you to know that he's there with you in it. He's near to the brokenhearted. He's with us every single step of the way. But you also need to know that you are in a pretty blessed place because whenever you are desperate, you throw yourself at the feet of Jesus and that's exactly where we need to be the whole time anyway. To be in a place of desperation. Let's not wait for life to bring desperation upon us. Let's just cultivate that in our own hearts. Realize, God, show me how much need I have for you. God, reveal to me how desperate I should be for your presence and who you are. God, show that to me before something has to slap me in the face to show me outside. God, show it to me on the inside first. Desperation, it's a hard place to be in, but powerful things can come out of it. We, so here we are, September 12th, 2021. Yesterday was the 20th anniversary of the horrific attacks here on American soil, terrorist attacks of 9-11. I, I know it's probably on everyone's mind is something that we've been thinking about this weekend. And, you know, and just all the time, it's always with us, but especially here, like 20 years later, um, it, it hits pretty close. And so Callie and I were talking about this and she had seen something, a story of um, uh, the people who were on United Flight 93. The, did I get the number right? 93. Uh, that was the one that was ground before it could reach its ultimate destination of the attackers. And uh, we were reading like a phone transcript of uh, Todd Beamer who was calling and talking about what the situation that they were in and what was about to happen. And just like, I mean, it, it hit so hard and it cut so deeply, but there was just such a, a power behind what he was about to do and what they were all about to go and do to honestly save a lot of people's lives at the cost of their own. And it was, I'm just thinking it was such a desperate and hopeless situation. Honestly, if you look across even all of what happened that day, there's just such desperation there. And there's it was such seemingly hopelessness there. But it was it was in the middle of that. It was in the middle of that. You know, I, I try to put myself in someone else's shoes. Like, would I have the courage to go and do the kinds of things that they did? And honestly, it's hard to know. It's hard for any of us to know. We can't really answer that question unless we're in that moment. But it's in that moment that something was drawn out of them. That something maybe that they didn't even know was there, that ability, that courage to go and do something about it, that without being in that desperate situation, wouldn't have seen that kind of heroism come out of them. And obviously, I mean, we know the end of the story is they lost their lives. And uh, so, so that part is obviously very tragic. But what I'm saying is what brought, what came out of them, this heroic thing, this courage, this bravery, honestly was latent within all of them. It was always there, it was always present, but this desperate situation drew it out. That desperate situation brought it to the surface where it could be seen, where it could be shown. And so what I'm saying is if you find yourself in a desperate situation, God doesn't want you to 
to live your life desperate all the time. He doesn't want you to always be like in this fight or flight kind of moment all the time. But he wants to draw something big and powerful out of you. He wants to see some faith come and rise up out of you that within a desperate situation and in a desperate moment, you can turn to Jesus. You can look to him just like they did there on that flight. If you read the transcript, he asked her to pray with him. He asked for Jesus and his courage to be with them. That God wants in those moments, in each of the desperate moments of our lives, for us to turn to him and have this roof-wrecking kind of faith that I'm going to push through anything. I'm going to get past anybody and anything that stands in the way because I have to be where Jesus is right now. I can't afford not to be. I have to have, live with that kind of desperation. And God wants to draw some, some beautiful things out of it, some faith out of you. I'm going to read uh, this next verse. I know we've gotten bogged down here. We just read four verses. So going on to verse 5, and then I want to share this last ingredient of roof-wrecking faith with us. Five, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. When he saw their faith, something that has stuck out with me in this story for as long as I can remember is that when Jesus sees their faith, he tells him, son, your sins are forgiven. And now, I don't know all the ins and outs of the language necessarily. I don't know if he said their faith as in the paralytic and the friends, or if he meant it like the friends, or what. But what I do know, what I can see, is that he addresses their faith as a group. He addresses the faith as a group, not just an individual. And honestly, each and every one of us, we have to have a personal, intimate, felt relationship with the Lord. We, we have to trust and believe as an individual and put our faith on him. Absolutely. I'm saying that, okay? But I also, in this story right here, what we see is the power of a group faith. We see the power of friends, of people who are close to us, people that we can trust, who honestly, I'll tell you, sometimes I don't have enough faith and trust for myself, I need the faith of somebody else who's next to me, who's with me, who's on my team, who loves God, who can help pull me along the way. Sometimes I need to draw off of wells of faith that are deeper than my own. And sometimes it's easier to have faith for somebody else's situation than your own. And that's why we need the people around us. If you're right there in the middle of it, if you're in that desperate situation, and if all you've seen is Lack, 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 I, I don't have enough or whatever. Maybe you need somebody who's a little bit outside of the situation, who trusts God so much, who can build your faith, who can spark that imagination, say, hey, look what God did in that person. Look what God did in my life. Look what God did here in the scriptures. Who can actually be there with you and for you so that y'all's faith can be seen by God. So that our faith can be seen. This third ingredient is the right friends, the right people, the right friends going alongside with you. To have roof-wrecking faith, you need a good group of people who sometimes have more faith than you do. And you can draw off of that. And sometimes you have more faith than they do, and they can draw off of that. And who can build off of one another and feed off of each other. I don't know, at least half of us in this room have been teenage boys before. 
And I'm telling you, there's something strange about teenage boys that like get together. I'm not going to call it faith, but there is synergy for sure. Uh, you know, I'm sure we could probably lump teenage girls in there as well. I, I haven't been one, but I'm sure it's the, the same kind of thing. But just maybe just synergy about being around people and being with people. There's things that I've done that I never would have done if it was just me. If it was just me, me by myself, like, oh, yeah, you think that's a good idea? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I, well, I, of course I think it's a good idea. Well, let's go do it. Well, listen, that can be very, very bad. That can be destructive. That can be dangerous. But I'm telling you, that same idea turned over, submitted to the Lord, can be the most powerful seed of roof-wrecking faith that you've ever seen. Oh, yeah, 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 God could do that for you. Yeah, 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 trust God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Give all that money that you just got that just came in your paycheck. Go give that to somebody. Give it away. God told you to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to work out. Where if I by myself would be like, no, I don't think I heard God right there. I don't think he told me that. But if I got another person of faith, they'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, boom, we can see God do powerful things. Roof-wrecking kind of faith. But like Boswell-shaking kind of faith. Things that, that can happen in powerful ways if we just have the right people around us, the right people carrying us. When he saw their faith, he turned to him and said, son, your sins are forgiven. How awesome. How beautiful. I'm going to tell on some people just quickly here, and I hope they're okay with it. I gave them a little bit of a warning. I heard a story of the right friends even just this morning. Uh, uh, Linda and Janice. If y'all know... If y'all have ever met friends before, if you've ever had a friend, if you've ever had a close one, I'm telling you, you just need to look to these ladies. If you want to see a picture of friendship, it's right there. It's sitting in front of us. But they were telling me a story of God doing a, a powerful thing in Janice's life. And uh, maybe someday she'll tell the story of it and uh, we'll get to share, hear from that. But anyway, God had done something powerful in Janice's life and she had written a song that didn't have music to it just yet, but it was just a part of what God was doing. And she from the stage said, Linda's going to come up here and sing this song. And I'm telling you, she did. She came up. I, don't, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall that day for so many reasons. But to see that, I think about friendship. Think about a good friend who's there with you, who's riding with you, who's like, yeah, you got a song for me to sing? I ain't never heard the tune before. This has never been performed. But yeah, sure, I'll come stand up in front of people and sing this with you. Man, that's friendship, I'm telling you. But we need to find those kinds of people who are there for us, who are there with us, and who can believe and trust in God in powerful ways that are wells of faith that we can draw on whenever ours are running dry. Every single one of us experience a dry well here and there. Okay, I don't care how faithful you are. I don't care how holy you are, how long you've been serving God. There comes a time in everybody's life when we feel dry, when we feel weak, whenever we feel empty. And it's in those moments that we need somebody. I'm, a song came to my mind. I'm not going to to lean on. Yeah, okay, everybody. I, uh, anyway, we need people. We need people that we can trust, that we can draw off of their faith. That's why we, why we need one another. As we're getting into this time of encouraging people to life groups, that's, that's the big reason why we encourage life groups. Even if it's somebody you've never met before, if it's somebody you've spent your whole life with, but just 
set aside specific time to, yes, we're together and we're going to try to draw off the wells of faith that are present with us. I'm going to draw off of what God's doing in your life. You're going to draw off of what God's doing in my life. We're going to help one another along. That's why we do things like life groups. That's why we need those. So what does God do with all this? This is the cool thing. Roof-wrecking faith. Now we get to the rest of the story. I know we've spent a lot of time in the first five verses, but Jesus does miraculous and powerful things here. We had just been reading uh, in weeks previous that Jesus has authority. He spoke as one who has authority, not like all the other scribes and the people that they've heard. People were like, this guy knows what he's talking about, and he lives it, and he's got power with it. Check out how powerful this is from Jesus. So verse 5, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. How cool. I wonder, you know, they knew that they wanted to be close to Jesus, but whenever those guys were digging through the roof and lowering their paralytic friend down there, when they heard him say, your sins are forgiven, I personally would have been confused. Like, well, Jesus, thanks, but... Look at his legs. Anyway, but he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they had thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? What an awesome question that Jesus puts out there. Man, Jesus knows, oh, he's got wisdom. Knows exactly what to say, the right words to say in the right moment. He says to them, which is easier, you doubters, that I say, son, your sins are forgiven, or Pick up your bed and walk. Now, on the surface, it would seem much easier to say, oh, your sins are forgiven. Go. Your sins are forgiven. Because you can't tell him he's wrong immediately from the immediate results. You don't have something right there in front of your eyes to say, well, he said it and it happened, or he said it and it didn't happen. Who can know what kind of authority this guy walks with? So on the surface, much harder to tell the paralytic, get up and walk. But I'm telling you, the thing about this is, well, you know, we'll, we'll, let, we'll just let Jesus say it. So he knows exactly what to say. Which is easier, your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk? Verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Never saw anything like this. How cool is this though? On the surface, much easier to say your sins are forgiven. Nobody can see one way or the other. Is he right? Is he wrong? Much harder on the surface, again, on the surface, much harder to say, pick up your bed and walk. And boom, he did it. But listen, he said, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. You know what? Just so that y'all will know that I can do this thing that is the big thing that I led with, 
so that y'all can know that I can do that, I'll go ahead and tell them, get up, walk, go about your merry way. Yay, everybody's amazed. But that is so people could see that Jesus had the authority to forgive sins. That was the much harder thing. That's why they were so offended by it. Well, only God can forgive sins. Only God truly, and it's true, only God can forgive sins. They were missing a critical ingredient was that Jesus was God. And so, yes, he had the authority there to forgive sins. Y'all, what is so cool, this paralytic, he came in needing his legs healed, right? He came in needing his legs healed. And immediately, just he knew, okay, roof-wrecking faith. I got to get where Jesus is. I have to get in the presence of Jesus. And whenever he got in the presence of Jesus, yes, he got his legs healed, but he got what he actually needed. You may be coming desperately to Jesus saying, my need is blank. You can fill in the blank. You know what it is. What I really, really, really need from Jesus is blank. The beautiful and amazing, powerful thing about Jesus is he has authority over that thing, whatever your problem is, but he also knows what your real problem is. So many people, you know, I've, I've heard stories. I, I'm a young pastor, but I'm a pastor. I've heard so many stories about people, well, I, I, I came to church because I needed my kids to be raised in a good place. I came to church because our marriage was messed up and we needed to get that fixed. I, I came to church because I didn't have any money and somebody said that they would help me if I came here. There's all kinds of problems that people come with that are their reason for coming to church. There are so many different problems that people have that are their reason for coming to Jesus. And listen, Jesus is more than able. He's capable. He has authority and he can handle those problems. But listen, he tells you what your real problem is too. Hey, it's my, it's my marriage. We have communication problems, yada, yada, yada. He's like, no, you need a new heart. You need your sins to be forgiven. You need your heart to be spoken to that, yeah, 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 your marriage is going to be much better after I'm done with you. But that's not what I'm worried about. I'm worried about you, your heart, this very core of you, turning that heart of stone into a heart of flesh making my home inside of you. Jesus knows exactly what we need. And he, he also has authority over all those other problems that we initially come with. This paralytic man, he needed his legs healed. But he really, really needed his sins forgiven. And Jesus did that for him. Let's come to Jesus. Let's have that roof-wrecking faith. Again, imagination. Let your imagination be sparked and run wild. Desperation. If you find yourself in a desperate situation, Praise God for it. If you're not, ask for some desperation in your heart that you would long desperately for him. And let's find the right people who we can draw off of their faith, off of their trust whenever we don't have enough for ourselves. But ultimately, all these things point to Jesus. What good is imagination if we're not imagining up what Jesus can do in our lives? What good is desperation if we're not desperate for the one who can satisfy what good are all these wonderful friends if they're not pointing us to Jesus? All roads lead to Jesus. I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. That's what Jesus said. That all those roads lead to him. Let's look to him, the author, the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. We see he's got authority. He's got power over it. He knows exactly what we need. And so I want to, I want to ask our ministry teams to come forward. Again, I, I spent a lot of time this morning talking about if you, 
If you feel like you're running dry, if you feel like you're out of faith, out of ability on your own, drawing off of somebody else, that's what ministry teams are here for. That's what the people here at the altar are for. They've been praying, believing, asking for the Lord to build their faith so that they can believe for you as well and believe with you for what God wants to do in your life. Please, please come forward. If there's anything that you need, need prayer for come forward. But what I want to do right now is I want to just just speak a blessing over each and every one of us. If you would, would you bow your head and close your eyes? As I talk about roof-wrecking faith this morning, maybe I, I believe that many of us, if not all of us, have already called on the name of Jesus. This isn't, this isn't a salvation altar call. If you need that, hey, come talk to the prayer team afterwards. They'll lead you to Jesus. But I just want to, to speak to us right now who have called on Jesus as Lord. If you find yourself right now, if you think, I want to have more of this roof-wrecking faith. My faith has been weak. My faith has been unstable. My ability to trust and lean on the Lord has been wavering. If you want your faith built, I, I want to pray and agree with you again having the right friends, having somebody to agree with you. I'm going to pray right now that God would spark your imagination, that God would lead you in desperate search of him, that he would cultivate in your heart that roof-wrecking faith. If you want just your faith to be built up, would you raise your hand? I want to pray over you. I want to believe with you right now. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing those hands. I'm agreeing with you. I want you to know right now what I can see right now is your hand. I can see your hand, but God can see your heart. Again, these, this paralytic came with something on the surface. God spoke right to the issue. And so I, what I'm going to believe for is as I'm seeing your hand and I know that I'm praying for you, I'm believing that God's going to speak right to your heart and give you exactly what you need this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being strong, for being able, for being capable. Lord, cultivate in us a roof-wrecking faith, something that is so desperate for you. God, open up our imagination, open up our eyes to see what you can do and who you are. Lord, even whenever we see so much lack, so much difficulty, so much pain with our physical eyes, God, open up our spiritual eyes to see what you're doing right in the middle of it. Plant seeds of your kingdom of trust, faith, hope and love in you that can only be found in you. God, I thank you every single person that raised their hands, that made this declaration in front of you this morning. God, I thank you for bringing strength, bringing a resolve to push through, to push past any obstacle, anything that stands in the way of them being in your presence and being right where you've called them to be. God, I thank you for your provision. I thank you for your ability and your authority in their lives. We speak against any doubt, any unbelief, any weariness from the world that would cause us to lose our trust, lose our faith in you. We thank you, God, for a roof-wrecking faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.